I, I think there's certainly a skill to that and a skill to getting over plateaus, but a lot of growth happens when you land in this pocket of demand that there's just lots of opportunity in. The way I think about it is just spotting these pockets of untapped demand. Changes are coming. We don't quite know how or when yet, but we know it's on its way. Some folks will be able to stay the course, maybe even double down on what they're doing. Others are gonna need to pivot. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. Now, I'm an optimist. I think most entrepreneurs are. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't stay entrepreneurs for very long. Being a business owner requires you to be resilient, scrappy, and be willing to get back up when you get knocked down. I have often said that the theme song for being a business owner should be Get Back Up Again from the Trolls movie. It's the one I go to when I've had a particularly rough day, week, or whatever, and I think it'll hold true. Our day-to-day might look a little weird right now. Maybe, like me, you are suddenly homeschooling your kids, or your workout routine has been thrown for a loop, or you're suddenly working with a spouse in your space. Maybe all three of those. But Even for those of us who work from home on a regular basis, this still doesn't feel normal. It's not everybody for a bit of a loop, but we will get back up again because that's what we do. That's who we are. And because there are a load of opportunities coming. Things will shift, sure. But if you listen to this show, you're already pretty smart and scrappy and willing to look for new and unconventional ways to operate. And that's going to be the key here. This month, before all of this happened, we'd been talking about measuring growth and data. And going forward, looking at the data that lives in your business will be more important than ever as you decide if you should pivot or double down. In my work as a CFO, I've gotten the privilege to look behind the scenes at a lot of different companies in a lot of different industries. And what I've found is that most businesses tend to look at similar businesses for examples and ideas about how to operate. Now, I do a lot of that on this show. I talk to service business owners about how they're running their service business and hope that it sparks something interesting for you because you probably own a service business. But often the best ideas come from businesses that look nothing like ours. What is standard practice in one industry can be absolutely disruptive and unconventional when you apply it to another. And sometimes the best, most creative ideas come from unusual places. So today, That's what we're going to do. I'm talking to Justin Jackson. He's the co-founder of Transistor.fm. They're a small two-person bootstrap software company. And bootstrap means that they're funding it themselves as opposed to taking investor money. And that means that measuring growth is incredibly important to them. They do podcast hosting and analytics for folks like Basecamp, Taylor Otwell, VH1, and incidentally, this show. Now, some of the key data that they measure are monthly recurring revenue, or MRR, and churn, which is the number of customers that they lose every month. Now, these are both fabulous metrics for service businesses to look at too. Measuring your MRR, or even just paying attention to what proportion of your revenue comes from recurring versus one-time projects, can be a great indicator of the health of your cash flow, and it's a great example of a metric to take from one industry and apply to your own. Justin and I talk about 
what they measure at Transistor, but we also talk about opportunities and how to identify them and how to build margins into your business. Now, we recorded this episode a few weeks ago, so while we're not talking specifically about how to react to the current situation, everything we talked about still rings true and was personally extremely helpful. As you're thinking about what to do next, I hope this conversation sparks something creative for you. And if you're struggling to figure out how to react to all of this and you want help coming up with a plan for your business going forward, reach out. I would love to help. You can shoot me an email at susan at scalespark.co or just head to the website scalespark.co and there's a button right at the top that you can click on to book a free call to chat. Hey, Justin, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, my pleasure. This should be fun. So let's start talking about Transistor and how you and John kind of approach what you're measuring or what you're paying attention to at kind of any given time with the business. Yeah. I mean, the primary metric we track is monthly recurring revenue and how much that number is growing each month in both kind of real dollar amounts and percentage wise. Okay. And are you, um, so if you're tracking one metric, that would be it. Are there kind of secondary indicators of growth that you're paying attention to, or you pretty much focus on that? And as long as it's going up, you're happy. Yeah. I mean, that's the primary one. Uh, if, if that goes down, we're definitely concerned. <laughs> I, I, I keep a, you know, I keep my eye on churn. So uh, specifically revenue churn, is that going up or down? And I like to see that you know, around 5% or lower. So yeah, when that goes up or down, I, I, I pay attention. I like to see actually one funny uh, metric I, I follow, and I don't even really have a chart for this, but just how many messages are we getting in our customer support software, like our chat widget mm-hmm. and our email. And there's a, a rough correlation between uh, more messages and more revenue. So if we're getting a lot of messages, I'm actually happy. Uh, a lot of customer support or a lot of questions from potential customers. Uh, and if we're not getting as many, I, I started to get a little worried. And do you have any kind of feelings about why that may be? Just that, you know, people that are chatting in are more engaged and actually using the software? Or yeah, there's, what, what do you think that comes from? I mean, most of our support is getting folks started. So they might um, not be a customer yet, but they have questions. And there's quite a few questions with podcasting at the beginning. It's it's not really straightforward to get yeah to get started. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, one of the primary services we provide is helping people along that path. And at some point, uh, they'll become a customer. And then there's quite a bit of work at the beginning as well. They need to submit their RSS feed to Apple Podcasts and. There's just a you know a, a variety of questions they would have. So when I see a, a big volume of those questions, I go, okay, this is great. That means we're we're probably onboarding a lot of new customers, and I can go in and check the numbers on that. But I just like having kind of this more intuitive kind of oh yeah, we seem to be up in in customer support requests. That's good, and um, you know occasionally I'll go in and actually see if the the hard numbers we have backs that up. But uh, most of the time, I'm just looking at MRR and then looking at, yeah, looking at number of messages and then 
The other thing I've been tracking lately is, I guess, SEO rank. So how do we rank for specific terms? Mm. Those kinds of things. That's uh, the a lot of our customers come to us because they are searching for podcast hosting. And so that I, I want to stay on top of that. Just want to make sure that we're we're in the game, so to speak. <laughs> so you and John, your co-founder at Transistor, have talked a lot on your podcast, Build Your SaaS, about how you have you have been very transparent. You participated in Bear Metrics Open Startup Project, and you were sharing a lot of your um, revenue information, your metrics publicly. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of just recently decided to stop sharing it. But can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how you approached deciding to share your numbers publicly and also kind of the decision to stop sharing? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, there wasn't much of a downside because <laughs> we didn't have very much revenue. And so, uh, and I mean, a lot of our brand is, you know, connecting with people uh, building relationships with customers, building relationships with people who are interested in our journey. And, you know, I, I'd built up an audience over 10 years of podcasting and blogging that were kind of interested in my next project. And John has been involved in the Chicago startup community. And so there are folks there that were interested. And so it just seemed like, okay, well, this is a good way for us to share a big part of our story, which is, you know, how does a software company in 2018 launch and what what does it look like or what can it look like? And uh, so, yeah, at the beginning, it made sense. It was also nice when we were, you know, we have a pretty good network. And so if I wanted to DM somebody and ask them a question, it was easy for me to just send them our open metrics and they could look at them and dig into them and give us really good advice because uh, mm. they could see our numbers right there. And every once in a while, we would have, you know, somebody we trusted reach out and say, hey, I've been looking at your numbers and here's something you might want to consider. Oh, interesting. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about the whole mentorship aspect of it being public. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that part is helpful. And I have some friends that are a part of Barometrics Open Startups Project. And it is helpful, you know, if they ask me a question, I can I can go in there and see kind of what what's happening. Um, you know, did they build a lot of revenue really quickly? And has it, is it plateaued? You know, what's likely to happen if they continue on this path? You, you can read the numbers and get some of that information or yeah, you can, you can respond to people's questions with some of that information. Uh, there's also a lot people don't see. And so I, I think that that was one of the reasons we stopped was, um, it got to the point where the numbers were probably more misleading than anything uh, and weren't as helpful anymore. So, uh, and also there's, we just, there's a risk with, uh, you know, with us specifically in having all of our competitors could see our numbers all the time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that got increasingly uncomfortable. And then new, co it also attracted new competitors that were seeing how well you were doing. Yeah. And we were at a disadvantage because they could see so much of what we were doing. They could see, you know, they could compare their churn rate to ours. They could compare our trial numbers to theirs. Uh, and so giving them a benchmark when we, we had none uh, just didn't seem like a, yeah, just didn't seem like that could work long term. So, no, I think it's interesting because, you know, in the, 
service industry, we have nothing similar. Like nobody would ever think about, you know, for their next launch, actually publicly talking about or publishing their revenue numbers or their profit numbers or how, you know, what their funnel actually looked like. It's a very, I don't want to say markety, but it's all about the, like, what does it look like from the outside? Mm -hmm. Where for me, it's just really interesting to see that in the startup world, this something like that even exists. Yeah. The people would be willing to share their numbers at, yeah, at any point, really. Yeah. And you know, actually the other benefit I think was just the, the vulnerability and transparency helps in terms of ego and helps in terms of, you know, trying to pretend you're something you're not or trying to put on a, a look that is not real. And I, I, I've felt that pressure in the past. I, I wrote this post a long time ago that's something like, you know, if I take a picture of myself in front of a Porsche, are people more likely to buy from me? And we know that for a while that was true, right? Like, um, yeah, it's kind of a power move with real estate agents. They'll buy a really nice car. And so when you, you know, see them driving around town or you see them in their photos or, you know, they pick you up to go on a house tour, you're like, oh, wow, this, this fellow must be doing pretty good. They're, they must be good at what they do. And I didn't like that pressure. I'm just a normal person. I drive a minivan. I have regular sized house. You know, I, I didn't want to have to pretend to be someone on the internet that I wasn't. And so I found just the vulnerability and openness, it, it relieved a lot of pressure because I automatically, I couldn't play that game automatically people could see where I was at and, you know, that there was something helpful and uh, maybe calming about that. No, that's interesting. Um, and you guys have been very transparent, both through the podcast, and I think your your posts just talking about building your company and the, why you're making the decisions that you're making. And so I I can see where building transparency into your company in that fashion, especially when you start out mm -hmm. just telling everybody in the world mm -hmm. how you're doing, um, sort of forces that you have to, you have to be comfortable with that level of vulnerability that as business owners, I think is just a big hurdle to get over sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's probably not for everybody. And there are downsides as well that, you know, some of these downsides I haven't even experienced personally yet, but you know, as your audience grows, there's the potential that there will be more bad actors in that audience. And if you're really personally, you know, if you have a personal kind of connection and personal vulnerability, there's a bigger risk, I think, for, again, bad actors to do whatever, to threaten you or um, take advantage of you or you know, make you a target for something. And I think mm -hmm. that's worth knowing as well. John and I haven't really experienced a lot of that, but it's definitely a risk. And I have friends like Ruben Gamez, who uh, runs bidsketch.com. He doesn't want to be the face of anything. <laughs> he, <laughs> he doesn't want to share any personal transparent posts. He doesn't want people to know who he is. And, you know, he has a really successful business built on mostly on uh, optimizing for search results. And uh, that's worked well for him. I think our approach has worked for us, but it has pros and cons. Absolutely. So just 
generally, how have you and John kind of approached growth at Transistor or approached how you're going to grow Transistor or thought about that kind of um, journey? Mm -hmm. how, how do you guys kind of generally approach growth? Well, so some of this, I think, see, John is a good partner for me because he, <laughs> he, he, he um, moderates what I say. Because uh, <laughs> from my perspective, I think the the best decision we made in terms of growth was the market we chose and the timing of when we decided to go into the market. Uh, I think John would, John would question how much we really thought about that. But I feel like, honestly, I, I was thinking about that quite a bit before I jumped in. And what I mean is the market you're in will determine most of your growth. And uh, I can't actually, that quote is from Sawhill, uh, the founder of Gumroad, but it's just something that's resonated deeply with me and our experience with Transistor. That the the power of the market, how much momentum is in the market, and by when I say market, I'm not talking about necessarily like a target group of people. I'm talking about you know the the market for diamonds was four billion dollars last year. There is demonstrated demand for diamonds. Diamonds will probably do about the same this year, right? Because we knew last year mm -hmm. it was about $4 billion. And then depending on the economy and everything else, uh, the market for diamonds this year will be X. And I think the, the key takeaway for me, both in my experience with Transistor, but also all the other businesses I've been involved with, is that really that first decision you make which is what market am I in? What business am I in? Am I in the oil and gas business? Am I in the, um, you know, the financial services business? Am I in, we have to decide what business we're in. And that decision really is going to dictate the kind of growth you have because it's the market, how the, the you know, how fast is the market moving and growing that will determine really both the rate at which you grow and the ceiling, your growth ceiling, when you might stop growing. So mm. I think the focus on tactics and, you know, growth tactics and growth positioning and all of those things, I think it's important, but it's only important if you are already in a market that is moving. And the, the market will amplify the effectiveness of those things. So... You know, uh, Coca-Cola has to be really good at branding because in their market, the the soda market or the drinks market, uh, branding matters a lot. And so, you certainly, if you have a good brand and a a good brand history, that will determine a lot of your success. But only to the extent that people are still drinking soda will that matter, right? So, and, and of course, you can see Coke has. Uh, gone into all sorts of other markets uh, because the market for soda has gone down uh, year over year for quite a while. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't consider that initial step enough. They just say, I'm going to start a business in X because I'm really excited about it or because I think you know this thing needs to exist or I have a really great product that no one's thought of, but none of that really matters unless there's 
some sort of magnetism in the market. It's pulling uh, for a solution already. And if, if that's not true, it doesn't matter how good of a marketer you are. It doesn't matter how good you are at product or how good you are at services. You can't, um, you can't multiply something that's a zero, right? If the market's a zero or the market's a 0.5, um, your incredible ability is only going to be a multiply, a multiple of that. But if the market's a 10 and you know, your branding skills are a 10, well that, that then, then these multiples start to be interesting. Mm, no, I think that's, that's true. And I think you're, you're not wrong with it's got to be both the market and you have to hit it at the right time. Um, yeah, and that's, I, I think that's part we underestimate the value, like the how much timing really does matter. Yeah, it, it, it matters a lot. I, I've been using this, this metaphor of surfing, because I think it, it just really illustrates this idea of, you know, there's surfers out in the water. And first of all, a lot of like, I think 90% of surfing is paddling. You're just paddling out, waiting in the water, paddling over to this area, waiting in the water. And you're looking, you're timing. Um, <laughs> you need to be in the right spot. You need to be in the right location, right? And this is where people's industry experience matters quite a bit. If you're consulting right now and you're in the e-commerce space, um, you certainly noticed uh, Shopify's uh, rise before I did or I hope you did anyway, because if you were observing, <laughs> you'd be like, whoa, you could see way out in the distance, there's this big wave coming called Shopify. And then the next thing is to paddle out and then get your timing right, right? If you, if you got into Shopify too early, maybe there wasn't enough there. If you got in too late, then you've obviously missed the wave. And once you're on the wave, I mean, it takes a lot of skill just to get you know, just to time it, just to paddle out to the wave, uh, get up on your board. All of that takes a lot of skill right there and some luck. And then once you're on the wave, those other things like positioning matter a lot. How, how you maneuver your board, uh, your, your kind of approach and, you know, where you're going to go and all, all of your experience starts to matter. Uh, also competitors, what other surfers are riding that same wave. Um, so timing does matter in the same way that if you don't have the right timing and you're a surfer, you're never going to catch a wave. No, I like that. So how have you kind of taken that philosophy and used it with how you approach growth at Transistor? I mean, again, I think... <laughs> you're just in the right place at the right time and trying to take advantage of it? Yeah, I mean, there's... So let's deconstruct right place, right time for a little bit. Uh, you know, I've been podcasting since 2012 and uh, blogging since 2008. And we could even just keep going back. Like I was uh, a huge fan of talk radio growing up. Uh, even when I was a, a teenager, I just loved talk radio. In uh, I grew up in Alberta, Canada, and we had all these talk radio stations. And I grew up listening to those stations. I grew up being a fan. Um, you know, every once in a while, while I was driving my car, I would turn off the radio and pretend I was hosting the show. Yeah, there's all of these layers of experience. And so right time, right place, yeah, there, I, I think I was in the right time in the right place because I'd been floating in the water for a long time and I had seen a lot of waves come and go. I had, you know, there, there was something about being in the water that helped a lot. And it, in terms of growth, 
you know, there, there was times when I, I'd started this podcast called Product People, and, you know, 2013, someone would come to me and say, hey, should I build a product for podcasters? And I said, heck no, because all the podcasters I knew were incredibly cheap and DIY. They were mostly hobbyists. They were mostly like, you know, they were building their own. I, my first like podcast, I built my own hosting system and was hosting it on AWS and, you know, built it, was using WordPress and WordPress plugins. And I was, you know, buying the least amount of equipment possible. Uh, and I, it just didn't feel like there was a big enough wave there that was worth riding. But that makes sense. then, you know, you fast forward. And so 2017 is when John and I started thinking about launching Transistor. Well, a lot had changed. Um, one, being again, being in the water. And, and for me, being in the water was I was a part of, you know, all sorts of podcasting forums and groups. I was hanging out with other podcasters. I was listening to lots of shows. I was subscribing and paying for Hot Pod, which is a hot uh, podcast newsletter. Um, you know, I was just in it. And I started noticing some trends, some kind of the, this wave starting to grow. Uh, one of those things was companies like Basecamp were hiring full-time podcast staff. They have two people who work basically full-time on their, their podcast rework. And in my head, I'm like, well, that's at least 200 grand just on salaries that they're investing. And then you had companies like Drift and CodePen. And, you know, there's all these companies that were getting into it. And so the B2B um, thing was interesting. It's like, oh, now businesses are, this is on the business checklist. Like we need Twitter, mm -hmm. we need a blog, and we need a podcast. So that was one trend. Of course, you know, 2016, 2017, there were, I, I think every week podcasting was in the New York Times, right? So there's all this media attention on podcasting. Um, and I think also just in terms of, you know, the, my group that I hung out with, I heard more and more people wanted to start their own podcast. And also, uh, you know, the coffee shop test, like when you're in the coffee shop and you're ordering coffee, what are people talking about around you? And it used mm. to be, you know, what songs are they listening to? And then what shows are they watching on Netflix? And then gradually around 2016, 2017, I started hearing people talk about podcasts, right? And, and normal people, <laughs> like, like not people like you and I that had been listening forever. This is, this is like just normal people who don't even really know what app they're using to listen to podcasts, but they like them. So yeah, there was, there was something about all of that that made me feel like, oh, okay, this is the wave that's worth paddling out to and trying to get on. And again, it, it's not a really sexy answer, but most, like for most of our growth is just because I think we caught the wave at the right time and we grew quite quickly. It's, it's almost like in the beginning, if there's room, if there's um, space in the market for a, a, a new offering, you, you kind of start gobbling up that demand as quickly as you can, right? It's just as, mm -hmm. as quickly as they're coming in and you're growing really fast because there's just a lot of demand. It would, it would almost be like if there was a really popular coffee shop in your town and every day the lineup is a thousand people long and you're like, okay, there's so much demand for coffee in this town. 
I'm going to open my own coffee shop. And you open it right next door. And all of a sudden people go, oh, well, instead of standing in line at this place for an hour, I'm going to go to this place. And, you know, every day you open your coffee shop's doors and there's a, a lineup of people ready uh, there. And you, you, for, you know, maybe for weeks and months, you just have a lot of growth. Every day you're growing more because there's enough demand there. Eventually that growth stops. And it's not because of anything you've done. It's just because you've kind of sucked up all the oxygen in the room or all the easy demand has been gobbled up. And now you're in um, a, a kind of more sustained growth phase and your growth numbers are going to be lower. And I, I think there's certainly a skill to that and a skill to getting over plateaus. But, you know, a lot of growth happens when you you land in this pocket of demand that, um, you know, there's just lots of opportunity in. And so I think a lot, the way I think about it is just spotting these pockets of untapped demand and then going there and trying to, you know, again, it's almost like uh, growth fills the room, right? So the, there's walls in the room and you're like blowing up a balloon and the balloon will go really fast as long as it's not hitting those walls, and eventually it hits those walls. And now you can keep putting oxygen in, into, you can keep blowing into the balloon, but it's only going to fill, it's going to fill at a much lower, slower rate until you find a new room that's, you know, I don't know if that metaphor works, but um, to, it's almost all about the opportunity for me, unless there's a tactical element, but I think the tactical element is overemphasized. No, that makes sense. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that you guys have necessarily gotten to this phase with Transistor, but how do you kind of think you view the demand of running a company that's sucking up all that really easy available demand in a market that you picked a good market that is growing, that there is demand that you can kind of just easily suction up mm -hmm. to running a more uh, like a slower growing growing business with more sustainable growth, like that's a very different kind of company that you're running. A very different approach. How do you how do you balance that? How do you make that transition? Yeah, I think we're making that transition right now. I think um, we in the beginning we were growing like thirty percent month over month, you know, twenty five percent month over month, and now we're probably at about ten percent month over month. So still, I mean, 10%. It's still really respectable. Yeah, that, yeah. that's still great. Uh, but it definitely feels like, okay, the, the, the big growth numbers are until we find a new pocket of untapped demand, the, we're, we're probably not going to grow again at that rate, right? And it's tricky. I, in some ways, I don't have the answer because, you know, in the last year, there's been new uh, competitors coming into the market. And we've definitely seen an impact from that. Like in the beginning, we benefited from this uh, being the new kid on the block. We're the yeah. fresh face. And if you had been with, you know, one of the old crusty providers for a long time, and they hadn't updated their UI in a long time, you, it was easy for that for folks to go, oh, well, let's look at this new, this new company. This looks great. And, uh, you know, we had some natural advantages. But there's new competitors that have come in that have natural advantages themselves, right? Um, 
uh, one thing I've I've noted before is that John and I aren't really connected to the make money online target market. So Mm -hmm. there's this whole group of people that, and a lot of them pay for podcast hosting and we're not really connected to that market. And so, you know, some competitors have, who are more connected, have some natural advantages there, right? And so, yeah, tactically these days, I'm thinking about, well, how do we respond to that? What do we want to do? Like, if I'm not super excited about that particular group, can I even compete there? And maybe it's not worth it because if I'm not passionate about it personally, I might not be able to, you know, compete in the same way that they can. So I don't know if there's any easy answers there. (laughs) I mean, I I doubt there, (laughs) you know, like all evolution of business. I'm sure there's not. Um, Yeah. And I think our one advantage we do have, though, is... You know, we we did grow fairly quickly to our current point, and we're still growing now, but we have a lot of margin, both financial margin, but also personal margin, mental margin. Um, we have a lot of calm in our life right now. And our burn rate is, well, we're, we're, we're profitable every month, so we're not burning cash. We have, like I said, we have margin. And competitively... That is a thing, right? So yeah. there can be a lot of entrance to the market, but if they can't get to a sustainable place or strategically they are making mistakes and they don't last, then we'll be there, you know, we'll, we'll still be here because we're in this for the long haul. We're not trying to, in some ways, that's why we're not trying to grow super fast or apply all sorts of kind of short-term growth tactics because... In my mind, like the the best growth tactic is if you're riding a a wave, you're surfing a wave, and you're like, okay, man, I really want to ride this wave for a long time, and there's 10 other people on it with you. Well, hopefully, you've just got the skill and the margin to wait for them all to (laughs) them all to wipe out and (laughs) to fall off. Absolutely. And then you now all of a sudden you have the whole wave to yourself. So I, I think that's one thing I think about is how can we just be sustainable? How can we be calm? How can we not be super reactive, uh, even though that we we're tempted to react oh, to everything sure. our competitors are doing? We're tempted to to make split second decisions and to go after you know easy or not easy but you know quick wins. And I think the right approach is to just hold the ship steady and you know keep going, do things that matter, invest in the future, um, and. Yeah, and just grow at a reasonable pace. No, I mean it's a it's a smart and um, at least in the SaaS industry kind of unusual play. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a you know it's a very common sense play, like be profitable, give yourself enough room to be able to choose what market you want to go after. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's something that you're not passionate, you know, if you're profitable and you're sustainable, you can choose not to go after that market. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in an industry where you know everybody's taking VC money and trying to grow at ridiculously fast paces and then just burning cash and realizing that, oh, whoops, mm-hmm. <laughs> we ran out of money, we got to shut down. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I, it's kind of funny, but being conservative is a great growth strategy. Uh, because if you're conservative, if you don't hire 
you know, a bunch of people and you don't, you're not trying to grow as really quickly. And if you're just kind of holding the ship steady, growing at a good pace and you've got tons of margin, but everybody else is, <laughs> you know, playing these games and we're kind of seeing this work itself out now, like Lyft and Uber are both trying to IPO and, uh, you know, their their financials are coming out now. And, oh, and we can see yeah. this is just not sustainable. And in some... It never was. That's my problem, is it never was. It, like, their business model was never profitable. Yeah, but think about how many, like, growth hacking case studies you saw. Oh, I know. Based oh, on... I know. Everybody's like, oh, I want to be the next Uber. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a little bit of a reckoning coming out, coming out now. And... Uh, I think, you know, these things that everybody else was doing, like everybody's buying Facebook ads. And so I've got to buy Facebook ads. And at the beginning, of course, there's good returns for Facebook ads because it's brand new. It's not saturated, you know, but now, uh, you know, there's, there's startups that are basing their, their funding pitches on all of these high acquisition tactics, like investing in Facebook ads. And it's just not sustainable. It's not a good channel. And part of that is the market you choose, what kind of customers are in that market, how motivated are they to buy just intrinsically? Uh, are they searching with intent for your product? And yeah, so I, I think there, we're having, a, in, in marketing, we're having a little bit of a, a time of reckoning right now where those really, you know, uh, those case studies where it's like, oh, wow, they grew 300% month over month using Facebook ads. Now we can look at those retroactively and go, okay, that worked in that three-month period, but now it's three years later and that company has folded. So a long-term view, in my view, feels like the best, that's the best approach. And there's obviously no guarantees, but sustainable, just month after month, just putting in a good amount of foundational work that's going to pay dividends in the future, while at the same time having as much margin as you can in your business just feels right. I like that. So how you've had um, businesses before, you've had other industries, other businesses before, how have, mm -hmm. how has that experience in other businesses that you've had kind of impacted your philosophy around growth with Transistor now? Um, like, how did that influence what business you decided to go in? What wave you wanted to catch? Um, did that have any impact on the kind of conscious choice to start Transistor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. One, one thing that I experienced was, uh, you know, I've had I've been a consultant, I've done uh, online education, like I had a book and a course called Marketing for Developers. And one thing that opened my eyes to the power of choosing the right market was meeting Taylor Otwell and Adam Wathen. Taylor Otwell is the creator of a PHP programming framework called Laravel. Mm. And by my estimate, I think there's probably something like 5 million PHP developers in the world. And he invited me to come speak at a conference he was doing. And I got there and it felt like I was at an Apple keynote. There's people lined up around the block to get in. These 
these developers are so excited and passionate about Laravel and adore Taylor Otwell. And seeing that, seeing like, whoa, so much of your potential. And Taylor admittedly says he's a terrible at marketing. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't do marketing. He's never bought an ad. He has never even really thought about uh, marketing outside of he announces new products and features at Laracon, this big conference he does, and he emails people and he tweets. But he it, none of it is like focused around growth or growth tactics, in his mind anyway. And so much of his success, uh, he, he just published a podcast where he, he talked about how he made $10 million from Laravel in the last five years, kind of opened up his books a bit. Well, so much of that success is that he is just in this giant moving market that is full of demand. Uh, PHP is kind of this old crusty programming language. Um, you know, those developers that are in that ecosystem have been kind of shunned for a long time. So there's all this untapped uh, demand for something cool. Like, just give us some cool tools <laughs> that we can use in our job. And Taylor comes along and provides it. And by my estimate, I don't think your market needs to be this big necessarily, but by my estimate, the PHP market, just in terms of salaries paid worldwide, is probably $125 billion or something. And so in that context, uh, Taylor coming along and shaving off $10 million doesn't seem so crazy, right? It just seems, well, yeah, that makes sense. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying... Um, you know, any of those things. But it just makes sense because you go, well, people are already spending worldwide at least $125 billion in this market. So for a solo developer to come in and build this framework and then build these tools and make $10 million kind of makes sense. Um, and so meeting him and seeing that how the market multiplies your effort was really foundational. And, and, and comparing, for example... Um, my buddy Adam Wathen wrote a book for that for Laravel developers, and he was reached out to me because he'd seen my launch with marketing for developers. And in one month, his book did equal to what I had done in the entire lifetime of my my book. <laughs> and, and and the reason was the multiplier of the market. It's not that. I guess people can debate this, but it's not that Adam's a better marketer than me. It's not that Adam is, you know, uh, just uh, better at tactics than me. It's the market. It's the market that creates all of that momentum. Hmm. And uh, having my eyes open to that and seeing his numbers versus my numbers and going, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Because uh, is you know, of the 5 million PHP developers in the world, how many of them want to get better at PHP? A lot. Of the 5 million PHP developers in the world, how many of them want to learn marketing? Not as many. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when, when you see things in that context, and that's just anecdotal, but I've seen that pattern repeated enough times with all the entrepreneurs I know and um, in my own experience that it feels it feels like the main thing. Like that's the thing we need to focus on is looking for markets with demand as opposed to creating products and services and going out and just shopping them around for demand. Uh, it, it, 
it, it's much more difficult in reverse. That makes sense. So before we kind of wrap up here, is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't yet? So I imagine that there are people listening to this who are in a business where they're struggling with growth. And if I was listening to this and I was me five or 10 years ago, and I'm like <laughs> working really hard, I'm putting in lots of hours, I'm trying to make things happen. I would be wondering, okay, Justin, that's, that's nice, but how does that actually work practically? How do I go from really struggling and really pushing hard and really, um, you know, doing lots and lots of marketing activities, trying to grow my business to what, to this different paradigm that you're talking about. And I think all of us naturally have a bubble around us, a bubble of what we know. You know, we here in my hometown of Vernon, BC, um, you know, people who live here, it's not a very big town. It's like we, if you asked folks on the street, well, how do people who are rich make money? They would say, oh, well, you got to be a lawyer. The things that they know, they can see, oh, that, that lawyer makes a lot of money. So being a lawyer is how you do well in business. And the key, I think, to finding new opportunities is to break out of your bubble. In the same way that meeting Taylor Otwell uh, kind of opened up my world, it expanded my universe to a universe where it was like, oh, wow, like a single developer can earn $10 million in revenue from a market like this. Wow, that's, that's crazy. And understanding that helped me to then look for markets and pockets of demand that were like that. And I think if you are in that situation where you feel like I'm just in this bubble and everybody I know, you know, that's in business are building WordPress sites and that's all we know. And it's a real grind and it's really competitive and the work sucks. And, you know, there's, I, I understand exactly how those people feel. And the, the key, or at least one of the steps out of that is to expand your worldview. And to do that, I think you need to get out of your town I think you need to travel other places. It could just mean signing up for a meetup in a big city that's three hour, a three-hour drive away and going and meeting new people and talking about their work and talking about their industry. It could mean connecting with different groups online that you wouldn't normally hang out with. It definitely means being curious. Uh, you know, when I, I'm getting my hair cut, I'm asking my barber, you know, what barbering conferences are like. Because I speak at a lot of tech conferences, but what are the differences in the barbering community? And there's all sorts of interesting, mind-expanding differences there that are worth knowing about because it, it, it expands your um, definition of what's even possible. And yeah, I think, I think that's worth thinking about and investigating. I think starting a podcast is another way to kind of expand your worldview um, Meeting new people is one way. Putting things out in public is another way, you know, like writing or podcasting or whatever. Having uh, the opportunity to know more people and have more people know you is, is another way to kind of get your worldview expanded. Taylor found me because of my blog. And, you know, I wouldn't have, or, and actually, no, I met him through Adam Wathen. So that was a connection. And Adam found me through my podcast and my blog. So, these kinds of activities where you're breaking out of your bubble, where you're getting out of your context, 
where you're investigating, you know, other cities, adjacent industries, uh, adjacent jobs, adjacent, you know, whatever it is, keep kind of hunting around in the same way a surfer hunts around for a wave, paddling around. And, you know, around the corner might be uh, a spot that nobody knows about that has incredible waves that haven't been discovered yet. But unless you actually paddle around and do some discovery, uh, you, you won't find them. And it might take a long time, but it's that, that kind of work is worth doing. So, you know, for me, I probably started thinking about the software business in 2008, and it took until 2018 before I had Transistor. And there was a lot of things I tried <laughs> along the way. But uh, so it takes time. It might happen, you know, right away. It might happen later. But definitely, the the more you get out and, um, you know, get out of your comfort zone, meet new people, the more you repetitions you do of that kind of work, the uh, more likely it is to happen. Perfect. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about you or about Transistor? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, Transistor.fm. Uh, we have a live chat. People can say hi. Uh, I blog at justinjackson.ca and I have a newsletter I send most Saturdays, uh, justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This is a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. That This was really interesting for me too. <laughs> My discussion today with Justin is a great example that you don't always have to look at businesses like yours to learn from them. His strategy of being profitable and having great margins in his business gives him the ability to wait out his competition, and it's something that you can build into your own business. That margin gives him the latitude to carefully consider the next move for his company and not just jump on the next wave that comes. Because he has great margin, both with his time and his finances, Transistor is sustainable, and they can stay that way for the long haul. Justin uses his numbers to keep an eye on that margin and to give him an indicator of where his business and his industry is going. If you're interested in checking out some other software metrics and to see what they're measuring, go check out Metrics Open Startup Projects. I'll drop the link in the show notes. There are a ton of startups there and they share everything. MRR, churn, and customer lifetime value are some really good ones to look at and start tracking in your own business. But have a look there and see what ideas get sparked for you. As we move forward into this new normal together, opportunities will be everywhere. Don't get stuck looking at the folks that look just like you for ideas. Give yourself permission to look at other industries and other business models. And if you're feeling overwhelmed by this whole thing, give yourself permission to just take a break and pause. You don't have to react right now. Be kind to yourself, be kind to each other, and don't forget to wash your hands. And if you're struggling to figure out how to react to all of this, and you just want some help coming up with a plan for your personal business going forward, just reach out. I'd love to help you. You can shoot me an email at susan at scalespark.co or just head to the website scalespark.co and you can click on the button right there to book a free call to chat. Now, next week, I'm kicking off a theme talking all about money and cash flow. And I know lots of y'all are thinking about this right now. So make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. 
This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runvik. Our theme music is Feel So Fly by The Unders. 